Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. So I get home, and Matthew had not gone to dinner with us, but I, you know, I guess Cheryl said, you know, your father would say, you know, testy about javelinas, and you wouldn't get near it. Dad, Dad, seriously? It's a javelina. It's a blind pig. What are you, what are you worried about? And I'm like, you know what, you little punk? If one of these javelinas <laughs> puts his horns in your butt, in your chest, I'll let you lay out on the street and bleed because you're so such a smart ass. Dad, Dad, what are you doing? You're scared of a javelina. It's a wild animal. Shut up. It is. It is. <laughs> this is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. It's Parenting 101, isn't it? Parenting goals. You know, that's, I've got a lot know, to learn, apparently. Yeah, you just <laughs> lay out there and bleed for a while. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. The PTI Show and this podcast have become about Matthew Wilbon in the last year or so. It used to be about... Michael and Elizabeth Kornheiser, and now it's about Matthew. Never Wilbon. to that level. Not well. Didn't have that access. Uh, probably not. Uh, that's Michael Kornheiser seated six feet one inches away, properly social distance at Uncle Benny's table, and it is your birthday today. It is. Uh, and so, how is your birthday so far? Well, I'm celebrating. What are your expectations? Well, I'm celebrating. Do you really want to go down this path? Well, let's start with this. The, the easy answer is, this saves me the hassle of having to give you a phone call later today. Right. We've established it. It's your birthday. Right. I've actually, I've had some, a lot of conflicted feelings about turning 35, and part of it's where we've been for the last year. So many of us have, you've, you've dealt with holidays, you've obviously dealt with some pain and loss, and, and hopefully that has not touched many of our listeners too closely. But I look at where I've been for my birthday, because we came back to D.C. from South Carolina right around the week of my birthday, and... What we didn't know then in terms of, you know, you had mask last mandates. Year. Yes, last year. April yeah. of 2020 had mask mandates going into effect in D.C. We didn't have the outlook as to what would happen with child care for the boys, how work was going to look for, for Liz or for me, really, for that matter. And I look now at what we do know here in, in the now in 2021, and, and that gives me a lot of, a lot of um, comfort. It, it gives me, you know, a great sense of, of just gratitude for, for all that. But I don't know. It's it's weird when you have the two kids, and, and I look to you because you, ha you have me and, and Liz, obviously. It feels like so much of my identity in these 30s has been tied to the prospect of being a dad or, or being a dad. And yeah. again, it's life-changing, and, and I'm so grateful to have the boys, but it seems it just is such a shift, and it's an immediate shift in your life. And so earlier in the week, I really didn't know what I was going to feel. And then yesterday, I had the chance to take both boys on a walk. It's, it was a beautiful spring afternoon in D.C. Well, was it overperformed like overperformed. crazy? Uh, we walked through Georgetown. The, the D.C. Public Library is doing a great job of letting you reserve books, and they let you come in to pick up books on reserve. And, and so we walked with that as a goal in mind. But it was just a great hour to be with the boys by myself and to just sort of reflect on where we've been. Yeah, as you know, I was always at the Olympics, even when the Olympics weren't Nagano lasted for a long time. I was always at the Olympics, so I had nothing to do with the raising of my children, so I missed all of those things. The one thing that I remember most um, about when you and Elizabeth were small was the ability to walk you to school, to elementary school. And I did that. And I, in my mind, I did that all the time. Walked you to elementary school, not all the way into the building, but, you know, because the, the school's about eight blocks away from the yeah, house. Yeah, just over half a mile. You know, and I always enjoy doing that. And you're looking at me like, what is he talking about? I don't remember him ever doing this. No, that's this. not fair. I'm okay. looking at you and I'm actually smiling on the inside because... There is one Halloween costume that Dad always had in the back pocket on the ready, which was a terrifying cape. My cape from college. A, that had a clasp on the front, like a red, Lion's riding, head. Like Lion's a red riding hood cape. Yes. And you would wear that occasionally to walk us to school. Oh, I don't even remember that, but that it, it also had a pocket on the inside so that when you went through the line at Harper College, you could steal a sandwich and put it in the pocket. <laughs> you could pay for one and steal one, and so it was no, but a, that's a two-for-one special, but that story a you're bogo. taking us to school is sort of, to me, it's this, it's this interesting generational continuation where you were able to take me to school, but the expectation was that you had to go downtown, you had yes. to go to work, you had to travel. Yeah. And now we're in this space where I'm able to be a, a very present dad. A better from, better parent than I. I wouldn't say better. It's I just would, it's I was the, the expectations have. Why do you want to write that book, Bad Dad, if I wasn't so terrible? <laughs> I've already written much yeah, of that book. So, um, so I'm watching last night. I'm watching well, the on. Orchid. Will the, will, the, 
Will there be a pony at any point in this day for Michael? No, well, uh, not a pony for Michael, but I certainly hope that he gets a pony for his children. The bootster is now almost as tall as I am in that picture, which again <laughs> is in a place of prominent in our living room. It's wonderful. Speaking of the bootster, we're playing Lego. And again, I've become a master of Duplo, which are the slightly larger Lego. I am making stinky and dirty characters out of nothing. I'm taping them to other pieces so I can get hinged angles. I'm well beyond the age limit for this toys. And so he looks at me probably a day or two ago, and he's, he's just in a total reclined position. He goes, Dad, you have a birthday coming up. Really? He yeah. knew? Well, Liz has been wow. training him. It's oh, a, it's a, okay. Yeah, she's learned this from her mother. She gives him little seeds of information, and he oh, just goes, wonderful. he smiles at me. He goes, you know, you get a present for your birthday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> so wonderful. What are you going to get? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let me go to back to last night uh, when the Orchid was on the mound and gave up one in the first Two bombs in the second, and I just no doubters. I just stopped watching at that point. As Carpenter and FP, they don't even they don't even concern themselves with whether or not he can't pitch at all. Carpenter's first hit, the, the Carpenter on the field, first hit that wasn't a bunt. Right, that's right, that's right. So they don't even, you know, there's nothing wrong with Strasburg except the other the pitcher Flaherty for St. Louis. They're overanalyzing. He's not in any kind of rhythm at all. I mean, you can tell that it takes innings, and they go on and on can about we, how can we stop? stinks. This is the third inning, top of the third inning. They're, they're basically smiling through the TV, going, <laughs> "Flaherty's already at 70, 71 pitches." Yeah, well, he, they're going to get into the they're going to get into the bullpen early. Well, next half then five one at that like point. thirty pitches for Strauss, four like three or four yeah. runs, and they never, you know, they don't ever mention any of these things. They just don't. They shine the brightest, best light on the Nats possible. Everybody else stinks, and the Nats are going oh, to be great. Oh, velocity down? Worry. Don't worry about it. It's all about don't the breaking about. ball and the changeup now. So, you know, the question now today is, at what point does Strasburg go on the DL? <laughs> you know, because his arm hurts, or his shoulder hurts, or his leg hurts, or he's got a calf injury, whatever he's got. Anyway, what I wanted to get to was this. I paid particular attention to the fans in the good seats behind home plate because they're the only ones I can see and I can see them on every pitch. And I'm the amount of people wearing masks were not any more than 15% of those people, no more than 15%. And I'm wondering if in major league baseball, if, if there's an edict in major league baseball or it's team by team, which I don't know, are masks simply optional? Are they simply optional there? And these people weren't eating and drinking. Oh, I, so I, I had a totally different view on this because I looked at it, and particularly from the, from the mound, lower right corner, right behind the batter's box, right. I saw a group of people mostly masked. And I would say this. I think when you're in the stadium, you have to be masked up. When you get to your seat, I think you can take it down because you're in your pod, though I, I'm not necessarily— They were pretty crowded. I would say this. I saw more masks in that— in that seating area than I've seen in any other game that I've watched. And I was uh, going to say, I, really? I thought my takeaway was that because St. Louis has a very good baseball acumen crowd, that they were very respectful. They, their, their audience might tend to skew a little older, but I thought I saw more masks. No, I was, I was convinced. I mean, I took that mental note that there must be optional there. There was a group of four people who had masks, but they were surrounded they were surrounded by people that didn't have any masks at all. And yet when I saw the ushers going up and down the aisle, the ushers all had masks. So I didn't I don't so know like how in it many works. stadiums you're only, you're you're able to place an order, say, on your phone to then go pick it up. In most of these you're not really gonna see any you know, you you're not gonna see concessionaires walking through the the seats at the same volume that you would have. If, I can't function in the culture anymore because I can't use my phone. All of these things that you talk about that are easy with you, I cannot do any of those things. I mean, I, I, to me, a phone is it's to a receive phone. Well, a car phone, phone call. Well, a car phone is a totally right. different ballgame. Then you here. can get a, a, fo- a phone call in the car. Well, you see what's happening locally the, at, I don't, the, I, I at don't the basketball and hockey arena. Where order like, food on it. You know, I don't. Well, imagine this. The old days, like if you were taking the kids to a, to a baseball game and you're sitting there going, okay, we're going to get up. We want to sit for the first two innings. We're going to get we're up at the walk top around, of the third because yeah. we, we want... We're going to try and time where we are in the order, who's pitching yeah. well, who's up next. And it could be a full two-inning proposition if you're trying to go to, say, like the hot spot for, for ball game fair. Now you could put that order in, order ahead, and it'll be ready when you walk up. Well, that so I think that there will be a series of jobs that open up over the next four or five years for people like me. Not, not that I'm going to be employed, but personal assistance for old people in ballparks that don't know how to do anything. And just sit there and sort of plead and go, 
Can I you help that's me? already at the president's club. Can you help me, please? Because <laughs> I, I don't know how to do any of the things that everyone else does as if they are born with it. Well, as the, if they are yeah, born with it. The term now it. is digital natives. What does that mean? So take a look at uh, the bootstrap. Our hands, hammer. our fingers will grow longer. Well, you're already, I think you're seeing some in terms of posture and the way that we carry our heads because we're always looking down. But Walker and Henry can already navigate basic functions on, say, the phone as they're cycling through photos I and can't. trying to turn videos back on. I can't. On. So they're smarter than the dog now, for oh, sure. They've, they've moved past Chessie. <laughs> they have. They're well, running again, circles. They're hurting Chessie now. Um, my feeling about this is, and I, I made this concession today about Chessie versus the boys, uh, Bootsy and the Hammer. Chessie continues to eat Frisbees and throw them up at three in the morning. And if she were smart, she would not do that anymore unless she enjoys the feeling of waking everyone up and throwing up pieces of plastic well, at three in the morning. She's not cleaning it up. No, I'm cleaning it up. I'm <laughs> cleaning it up. So maybe, maybe that's a tribal right for her. But it seems to me that, that you know, the, the act of doing it can't be that much fun. I mean, she's heaving. You know, it's awful. She's, she puts her head in a corner and she heaves and then, you know, does it five or six times. Going and then back the to the game last night, were you surprised that nobody came out to talk to Strasburg over those two innings? Who's going to go talk to him? I honestly thought Mike Maddox the, from the other team well, might go talk him to well. him. Well, he knows him well. Maddox was on. sitting in the, in the corner. Put his arm on his down. shoulder. Get, yeah. No, I mean, I think that they, they paid Strasburg all this money and he helped win the World Series. And I'm never going to take that away. But he and his first outing this year was terrific. It was terrific. Right. And this was every bit as bad as that was good. So maybe we should just put him only in seven inning games. Uh, I don't know. Was, Do you think there's anything to the road? Because because of the, the covid protocol and having now rolled out three different catchers, is there going to be this learning curve where you look at putting in Avila last night and you just go, it's going to take these guys a while to get used to another catcher back there. I mean, you've had, I would imagine, I mean, you know, Scherzer has personal catchers. A lot of really good pitchers have personal catchers. Yeah, Kershaw. And, and the only one who's back this year is Gomes. And I don't know if he's the personal, he clearly, he's not the personal catcher for Strasburg because Avila was in there last night, swinging on terrible sliders in that basically broke down and hit him in the foot. And he swung it. Well, he doesn't have the eye of Castro, you know, Castro has no hits against right-handed hitters all year. He's none. <laughs> You're going to see a lot he's of righties. Up, he's up there swinging, though. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of righties. <laughs> I left out all the stuff I was going to talk about, about this guy, Jeff Sylvester, and his hole-in-one in Rehoboth. Yeah, what's the difference? All right, we will uh, take a break right now, and when we come back, we will have uh, Brian Windhorst. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a Simply Safe ad. And the intro says, which part of your house feels a little less secure than you might want? Maybe it's your first floor windows, maybe a French door. And then it says for me to say, for me, it used to be my, and then I'm supposed to say something that's not as secure as something else. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. The attic windows, because I think birds can fly in and kill people. My heart's racing in. after this opening, by the way. You I know. never thought of it this way. <laughs> but I never have to worry about that now because of my security system from Simply Safe. Now there's no time, day or night, where I have to worry because I know my house is always being guarded. Actually, the house is always being guarded because around the corner there's a cabinet-level position and there's people around here all the time. It makes me feel happy. <laughs> Even if you already feel safe, that might not be true of everyone in your home. If you've never had a conversation about that, it's honestly not a bad idea to do. It just feels really good to be able to press the home button on a Simply Safe keypad and hear the bass say alarm on and know that if anyone did try to come in, the alarm would go off. And the thing is... Simply Safe just makes it easy. It takes about two minutes to customize a system on their website, simplysafe.com slash Tony. The system arrives in about seven days, and then it takes just 30 minutes to set up. Michael and Nigel did it in the office, you know, in the studio. If we ever get back there, we'll see everybody's put their hands in the till while we've been gone. <laughs> so go to simplysafe.com slash Tony today to customize your system and get a free security camera. You also get a 60-day risk-free trial. There's nothing to lose. Let me spell it for you because Simply is spelled S-I-M-P-L-I. So simplysafe.com slash Tony and use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a band from Seattle called Obstacle Course. This is sent to us by one of the band members, Rick Baker says, hope you guys like these two tunes from our upcoming album, When the Discs Stop Spinning. 
and that's out April 16th, which is in a couple of days. This is called Countersign. Again, the name of the band is Obstacle Course. It's a pretty good name, actually, although they put a comma between obstacle and course, and they spelled course C-O-A-R-S-E. So that's an internal pun. That shows a certain amount of brains, unless they simply misspelled it, <laughs> which I don't know. We'll have to get to Rick Baker. Maybe he's related to Ginger Baker, for all I know. Anyway, they play in Brian Windhorst. And now I'm watching SportsCenter early in the morning, and... The 7 o'clock Sports Center, I guess, maybe. Or maybe it's, yeah, the 7 o'clock Sports Center. And early in the show, they're showing a basketball game last night. And on the bottom of the screen, they have an insert of you, Brian. It's just a headshot of you. you they mentioned you're there watching the game. Was that, a West Coast, was that a West Coast game that you were watching? Where are you? Where are you now? I'm in Omaha, Nebraska in my house. No, I was so, a guest of the Phoenix Suns broadcast. I was. I was not there watching the game, but oh. I, I wish I was there. No, no. So, because I got a note in the middle of the night from Wilbon about how great Phoenix was, because Wilbon pays attention to the cities where he owns homes, and he's always <laughs> yapping at me about how great Phoenix is. And maybe Phoenix is that great, because he was saying Paul and, and Booker didn't shoot at all, Michael Bridges didn't score any points at all, and the bench was great, and they beat a fully loaded Miami team. And so I was going to say, what were you doing in Phoenix? And you weren't even in Phoenix. So did you see this on, on SportsCenter, the sort of misrepresentation of where you physically were? I didn't know that they had uh, said that. Um, uh, you know, uh, the Suns broadcast likes to occasionally have um, national analysts on during the second quarter. Here's a tip. The second quarter of an NBA game is usually the most boring time because the starters all rest. Yeah. So whenever, whenever we go back to NBA games again, the second quarter is when you go get your your concessions, go to the bathroom, go load up on beer, what have you. So, you know, this is a time nobody's watching anyway, so they, they throw these these analysts in there. I believe Mr. Wilbon has been invited onto the Suns broadcast uh, several times during this important second quarter run. But I was a guest of the show last night, and we talked about the Suns. Um, I did it from my basement, from my studio room that I uh, did the jump in yesterday as well. Um, so this is interesting. I may be wrong. I, may, I don't want to say they misrepresented where you were. They may have just said Brian Windhorst was watching the game. But I'm, I assume, you know, I assume if, if, you know, they show you that you're at the game. I think Wilbon may have been at that game because Wilbon's out in Arizona. But Wilbon makes very, very clear distinctions. Like, he, it's not even that he's in Scottsdale. It's important that he says he's in North Scottsdale. You know, and he, he doesn't like to say Phoenix. He just likes to say Arizona as if Phoenix is so déclassé. He doesn't want anybody to know that he's actually in Phoenix. But he, he loves the Cardinals, and he loves the Suns, and he, he's very high on them right now. And I... For years, I've said they're two years away from being two years away. But clearly, the addition of Chris Paul, and he did this last year in Oklahoma City when he was an MVP candidate. Clearly, that addition is, is quite meaningful, right? Yes. I mean, this has been a sleeping giant for a decade because Arizona, this is a state with no state income tax, a terrific place to live in the winter. In the there, winter. I mean, they never won a title, but they were good, Tony, as you know, yes. for 30 yes. years. Yes, uh, you know they were they were close a few times, um, and they've been terrible, terrible, and their management decisions have been awful. Uh, you know, there's this incredible story written about this lost decade by Kevin Arnovitz from ESPN.com two years ago that told this incredible story that summed up the entire Suns franchise, which is the owner Robert Sarver, who has been criticized a thousand times. I don't have to do it again. Uh, right. was trying to send some sort of message to his organization, and so he had goats, actual live goats, brought into the front office because he, he wanted them to go find goats, you know, greatest of all time players. So he had goats brought in, and the goats befouled the general manager's <laughs> office from their lunch. And this is a story that you almost think would not be true, but it was right. true, and that symbolized them. So they... And I hate to say this. It's a terrible thing to say, but it's true. They are one of the biggest beneficiaries of the terrible news of Jamal Murray blowing out his knee. Yeah. Because Denver becomes, in my view, not a contender to win the West. Agreed. Which means, which means that the teams that uh, have are there, 
benefit. And I had to tell the the Suns fans, I mean, they probably already know, that the Suns fans need to now root for the Lakers the rest of the regular season because the Lakers were in danger of sliding back into that play-in tournament, and the Suns look like they're going to be the number two seed. And the only thing that could short-circuit this incredible Suns opportunity this year is if they get this terrible luck and the Lakers lose enough without Anthony Davis and LeBron James that they have to play in this play-in tournament. And then all of a sudden the Suns' reward for getting the number two seed, which is where they're pretty ensconced right now, is to play the Lakers in the first round. So yeah. um, the, the day, I, don't, I don't think the Lakers will backslide there, and, and I think they, the Suns have a great chance to get to the conference finals. Can I, I let me follow up on this? I agree with you about Jamal Murray. I said yesterday on the PTI show, it just sinks them. You can't lose your second best score. Look what happened when Golden State lost Clay Thompson. But there are so many injuries this season. Is there a working explanation from star players on good teams? And I'm not saying they're they're crippling injuries like this one where the guy's out for the rest of the year. But you look at Davis and you look at LeBron and you look at Harden and you look at Durant and you look at Gordon Hayward and you look at LaMelo Ball, you know, about from playoff teams and Chris McCollum was out, CJ McCollum rather, was out for, you know, a million years. Um, Embiid, just yappy, annoying Embiid is out all the time as well. (laughs) Is there an explanation for this or am am I observing something that is not extraordinary that happens every year? Well, I think you can definitely look at all of these calf strains. Have you ever in your life seen as many calf strains right, right. that have happened in the league this year? I mean, well, right why now, don't we just get a whole bunch of calves and put them in a big room and see what happens? Tony, you are now the assistant general manager of the Phoenix Suns. The hamstring injuries and the calf strains, I absolutely think you can attribute to that. You know, LeBron got rolled up on from behind. It was a freak play. Um, you know, now Jamal Murray, uh, you know, he's been dealing with a right knee, a sore right knee. He's trying to play through it. He runs down and plants on his left knee and his left knee gives. Now, is that because he's been favoring his, his right knee for the last few days or weeks and it was more susceptible? You know, you'd have to get an expert on to tell you that. I do think Anthony Davis, though, for sure, that injury that he's suffering, that Achilles injury, is a repetitive motion injury, uh, you know, repetitive use injury. And, uh, you know, he plays this incredible long season. He, they get uh, two months off, and they bring him right yeah. back. Yeah. I do think yeah. that's related. Um, and here's the other thing, Tony, that I, you know, think, you know, you should be pointed out. Next year is also going to be a short turnaround because they have said we are starting on normal schedule in October. So, the, the, you know, it's not going to be quite like it was this year. But if you get to the conference finals, um, you know, in this, this season, you're going to be a, played into July. The, the finals will be in July this year. I believe the conference finals will end in early July, around July 4th. So uh, it's going to be another short year. So if you're a team like the Lakers uh, or, you know, or, 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 you know, depending on how it goes in the Eastern Conference with Miami, you could have sort of this crazy back-to-back short offseason, and we could see this continue to a certain extent into next year. And so, uh, look, they missed, I think, three and a half months, four months with the pandemic shutdown last year. And it's going to take them two years to dig out of it. And digging out of it is going to have consequences. They're great athletes. But if you play five games in seven nights and you're asked to play 35 minutes all the time, you know, you you are susceptible to these injuries. I wanted to mention that Luka Doncic uh, publicly said and then was backed up by his owner, Mark Cuban, that he hates the play-in tournament. I have to be honest with you. I love the idea of the play-in tournament. I mean, you know what? You know, because you made the eighth spot in the playoffs, and, you know, that's more than 50% of the entire conference. Like, you're not, you're not very special. I like that seven has to play eight, and the loser has to play the winner of nine and ten. Doncic hates it. How do you feel about it? How far do you think Luka Doncic could go with a statement before Mark Cuban wouldn't agree with him? Um, three words (laughs) three words Luka Doncic could could say you know the grass grass is really not green it's actually blue and Cuban might say you know what when you look at it from a certain angle it actually is blue he's right Uh, you know Mark Cuban is in the uh, keep Luka you know make Luka Doncic feel happy uh, business Uh, also you know well before you consider their point 
you have to realize they're in seventh place. <laughs> they are the team. That's right. That, That's know, right. So their, their credibility on this is damaged. Uh, maybe the play-in tournament is a bad idea, but I'm going to say let's wait and watch the play-in tournament. Uh, you know, I, I do think that the last seven to ten days of the regular season could get very interesting. Uh, do I think any of those teams that are in the play-in tournament are going to win the title or anything? No. But why do we watch conference tournaments in basketball, in college basketball? Do, do, are those teams going to the Final Four? That, you know, these teams that you know, are in seventh place and make these runs? Uh, no, but we still find it very entertaining. And uh, these single-game eliminations uh, are, going to have, are going to be interesting. It's going to be something that's going to uh, I like it. I, I like and, it. I like the idea of it very much. And by the way, to your point, Georgetown goes on a run in the Big East and is out perfect. immediately. Exactly. You know, out immediately. Um, one other thing, and I'll let you go. Steph Curry is a great player. He's an all-time player. He's maybe the greatest shooter of all time. He passed Will Chamberlain. He's now the leading scorer in the history of the Warriors franchise. The Warriors started as the Philadelphia Warriors. They started with Paul Arizon and Neil Johnson. Um, they had Chamberlain. They've had Rick Barry. They've had Chris Mullen, Mitch Richmond. They've had great scorers for a long period of time. So it's a lovely and significant honor because it's a consequential franchise. But I, I take Wilbon's point, and I believe in it as well. Let's not lose track of Will Chamberlain, who played half the games, basically, that Curry played for the Warriors. You know, I mean, the people remember how great Will Chamberlain. He averaged 41.4 as a Warrior. 41.4. Come on, right? There's like maybe seven or eight times a year where a player will do something and it triggers some sort of Will Chamberlain stat. And every time my mouth drops open. Uh, you know, I never got to see Will play, uh, but his statistics are absolutely. In- you know, the craziest stat I think ever is the amount of wins that Cy Young has. Uh, does, he has like 500. 511. 511. This is the people talk, people every now and then talk about the most un- unbreakable record in sports. They're, 100. It's all, yeah, it's all shorthand uh, compared to Cy Young's career 500 wins. Then you think about Will Chamberlain and the 100 points. Uh, but that is one night. I average 50 happened. one year. Average 50. This is average. Statistics. Are, are across the board, like Cy Young statistics across the board. Um, and so, uh, you know, I will say, this is the best thing I can say. If you are compared to something that Will Chamberlain did, you, sir, have done something special because That's Chamberlain's right. numbers are unmatched. That's right. And they never will be. They never will be. Brian, thank you. I'm glad to know that you were... You're safe at home, and you, you were not in <laughs> Phoenix last night because I think Wilbon was there. Thanks, Brian. We'll talk to All you right, soon. I appreciate it. Tony. All right. Bye-bye. Brian Windhorst, boys and girls. Lovely, lovely. Uh, we will come back with Richard Justice. Am I right on the, on the order of the show? Right? That Richard is Justice correct. is next. That's and right. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Now, how is one supposed to celebrate his 35th birthday? This is the underpants read. Okay. MeUndies believes that comfort is about more than what's touching your skin. It's about feeling comfortable in your skin. That's why MeUndies sources the softest, most comfortable fabrics imaginable. Their endless styles are available in sizes extra small to 4XL. I'm somewhere in between. In between that. In between. Never run out of undies or worry about skipping laundry day again. With the MeUndies membership, each month replenish your basics and build your collection with styles that are anything but basic. And again, there was the house pa- houseplant you underpants. triangles, right? You said you... Oh, I'm, I'm getting to triangles. Okay. That's how Liz and I are celebrating April, which is a birthday month for us. Right, triangles right. in the new Breathe fabric. No, no, I'm, this is still a bucket list underpant for me. Okay. The houseplant underpant with the Ficus Elastica Burgundy and a nice little Sansevieria, Walker's favorite, the okay. snake plant. Styles that let you uh, uh, be the truest version of yourself right down to your core. And no pressure. You can always skip a month if you want. Plus, enjoy discounted pricing, controlled shipping, and exclusive early access. Love your butt and get the membership. <laughs> you know what's so great is we got an email to the mailbag account about a recent MeUndies purchase. It yeah. was a pretty steep number. for you know it was, it was a good amount of underpants. Right. But for some reason, we, we were not getting the credit. So I want to make sure we were getting the credit because this was a very happy customer. Express yourself every day in new limited edition prints like the houseplant collection because what you wear on the outside should empower you from the inside. 
That's like their whole thing. Mendy's has a great offer for Tony's listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. Mendy's also has their problem-free philosophy. If you're not satisfied with any product for any reason, they'll refund or exchange it. No caveats, no questions. To get your 15% off your first order and free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash Tony K. That's MeUndies.com slash Tony K. I really like how they drop in a word like caveat. I like that. It just it seems to bounce around a little bit in a commercial like that. Thank you, Michael. Good read. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Obstacle Course from Seattle, Washington. This is a song called Running Away. It's up-tempo stuff. Their album drops... Uh, April 16th. Today's April 14th. So that's in two days. It's called When the Discs Stop Spinning. And the discs are spelled D-I-S-K-S. I wonder if they have a spelling problem, actually. I mean, I don't really see the irony in that, but maybe I'm wrong. We've got to get to Rick Baker. This is, again, Running Away. It plays in Richard Justice, who, as we know, lives in Texas, in Houston, Texas. That was hit so hard for such an extended period of time about a month ago, maybe a little bit more than a month ago. And you're still cleaning up, right? Everybody's still cleaning up. There are still these large dumpsters, you know, when you have a demolition project in a house up and down my street. Other houses not hit at all. I've had to replace my sprinkler system, some pipes in the backyard, but nothing in the house. And then yesterday, Tony, we get an alert from the Texas Tribune. Uh, ERCOT, that's the geniuses that run the power grid in Texas, that decided... Uh, it didn't want to be part of the national power grid because we're right. smarter than everybody else here. ERCOT sent out an alert. Uh, could have outages today, demand higher than usual. And we're like, oh, no, 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 no. We've already done that. So it, it never stops when you have um, not the sharpest knives in the drawer in charge of your state government. It's very interesting how the news cycle works. There is nothing that looks better to open up a morning television show than bad weather. <laughs> everybody, everybody puts it on first. If right. you look at your local news, the stars of your local news shows invariably now are the weather people. They get paid a lot of money. They're wrong half the time, but <clears throat> they still get paid a lot of money. And, and these terrible tornadoes and these terrible power outages and these, the terrible views of trees crashing through houses, wherever they happen, they lead the national news, the Today Show, the CBS Morning News, all of them. This is just the way it works, because the video is very striking. And everybody feels bad, but then everybody else goes on with their lives, and you're left to clean up for a month, and more, yeah. and more. Yeah, but the reason that is draws the highest ratings is it's the one thing that impacts you. You know, that, yes. that it, yes. it, like you want to know, like I get up every morning and go, okay, what's a good time to go run? It's going to be 60 at this hour, you know, every, and, and so, and when there's a catastrophic weather event, I, I mean, what happened here is almost beyond comprehension. I have a plumber friend. He says, my paint that I put on pipes is good to 20 degrees. He goes, how did I know we were going to have three straight days of eight degrees in Houston, yeah. Texas? No, I mean, the, the, there's two reactions. One is, I feel so terrible for these people, and the second, which follows immediately, is, thank God it's not me. That's, that's how everybody feels about weather. I'll move off weather. I'll get to the baseball season, because I know even if you're not making money doing it anymore, I know you're paying attention. Yeah. And, and I wondered your thoughts about the, how baseball has done so far. They're not in a bubble. They're playing 162. The virus is still out there. My team, the Nationals, have been impacted uh, John Lester's still not on the roster, which makes all of us believe John Lester is patient zero, um, whether he is or not. <laughs> but how do you think they're doing with virus, and how is the season so far for you? The season so far for me has been um, better than expected. The Nats have been crushed by the virus, <sighs> yeah. but every day <clears throat> you're going to get it. You're gonna, you don't know what tomorrow brings because you can go I, I think a couple of years uh, last year a couple of years ago it seems like 20 years ago some Phillies went out to a restaurant in Clearwater and it ended up sidelining 10 guys few infected but but you know uh, the contact tracing said no no you can't play anymore so yeah. every day you go about it I remember it was David Bodie of the Cubs last year on a zoom call said I don't do anything I go to my room and when I'm in the elevator 
I'm worried about touching the button. That's how conscious you get of of this because you let your guard down one second. Now, you know, you know, you you don't know. You could be sidelined them two weeks, or you could be very sick. And I, you know, the, the Vancouver Canucks have have, have players Ooh. apparently that are very Ooh. sick. But um, you know, as we get through this, I, I don't know how you're feeling. I feel more comfortable now. I've been vaccinated, and I, I've been to restaurants. There's still social distancing going on, but so slowly we're getting back, and hopefully that's – players need to get vaccinated. And I understand I'm not going to poke fun at the people who are reluctant to get the vaccine. You know, there are legitimate questions, but we're – I think we're getting there, and I think every day you get by, you're closer to normal. The uh, uh, Peter Hotez at the Texas Medical Center was on the Today Show this week and said, really – I think we may be really close to normal by June. So, you know, let's see. Everybody get a shot and let's go. Yeah, he's the bow tied guy from Baylor. Yeah, he's yeah. on all the time. Great my friend, bow tie. Yeah, my friend Peter Lazarus is a friend of his and always gets angry when I say he just likes, he wants to be on camera all the time. I mean, you know, <laughs> nope. Peter says, hey, no, no, he's good. He's good. With that, okay. No, he's good. Yes, I know that. Um, so let me get to the season. Let me get to something that we talked about yesterday on PTI that I really enjoy. And it is the collecting of baseballs. Now everybody knows that they collected Trevor Bauer's baseballs and, and they want to examine them to see if there's any foreign substance. And the foreign substance has to do with making spin rates go up. And when spin rates go up, strikeouts go up. And when strikeouts go up, baseball is a little bit more boring. It now feels like, Richie, it feels like 1968. It feels like there's going to be a course correction, that baseball is going to come after their pitcher's once again, because the speed is just too high for the batters. It's either going to be some way to restrict the speed or move the mound back, which would restrict the speed in effect. Do you have the same feeling I do that there's going to be a correction? I, I don't know about a correction, but I would say this. The reason this is happening is that the, the data that teams have at hand allows him to evaluate everything about a pitcher. Trevor Bauer was uh, one infield hit from throwing a no-hitter last night. He struck out 20 and in 20 innings over, over his three starts this season. Corbin wow. Burns of the Brewers two years ago was the worst pitcher in baseball, 8-8-2 ERA. He dropped this fastball. He's throwing this sinker, this sl- slider. He, he's probably gonna, he may win the Cy Young Award this year in the, in the National League pitching for Milwaukee. I just think you look at the uh, the Red Sox have won seven in a row. Look at who their 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 starting rotation: Garrett Richards, Martin Perez, Nick Pavetta. But they they are run by very smart people who have the ability to say, "Okay, this works for you. This doesn't work for you." Charlie Morton tells the story that when he came to the Astros, they said, "Now look, you're gonna have to throw. You have the best curveball in baseball. You're gonna have to throw it more." He goes, "Well, I threw it more last year." And they, "No, you're gonna have to throw it." all the time and put stress on the arm but it was a it was a it has remade his career and other pitchers will tell you the same thing that's what i think it is happening how does how do you catch up with that you know i i don't know you know we at some point the last two years we've gone into the game is being ruined by home runs and big offensive innings and all that it's just there's a this mountain of information that every team has it's a transition period, and the transition period is going to continue a while because as David Stearns of the Brewers told me, uh, hey, look, we're still at the tip of the iceberg on all the things we know now that we didn't know before, things that happen beyond the human eye. And it's, I don't know if it makes it fun for you. Do, I, do the Nationals broadcasters emphasize spin rate and all of that stuff? Oh, no, no, they emphasize homerism. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, but, so no. you saw the news last night with Steven Strasburg. I, I mean, saw the game. Yeah, very. He had thrown sixteen sub ninety mile hour fastballs. Yes, he didn't in have. He career. didn't have speed in his career. He, he threw nine last night. He and, didn't have speed. And the TV cameras and I know Davy Martinez and Steven Strasburg weren't happy about. This. Caught him rubbing his uh, the area between his neck and his shoulder. That yeah, is he's going like, on the we DL. We talk about Josh Bell and all those guys. You know, missing all this time and all that, and then they not having their team. But this whole franchise is built around pitching, and if that's right, starting if there's pitching. something wrong with Steven, it's uh, it's trouble. There's always something wrong. It's just waiting to surface <laughs> in the next in the next pitch. Um, I just want to say, Tony, 
hearing when the Nats blow a lead, hearing you the next day on the podcast is it, it warms my heart. How <laughs> how how much happiness and anger you get from the, your local baseball team, and that's I the do. way it's supposed to be. I do, I do. Uh, let's get to that bad call with the Phillies, yeah. um, and the Braves. I mean, that's you know, I, I'm watching it on replay like everybody else, and his left lead foot does not touch the plate, and he should have been out. What should baseball do about that? And if it's different than what baseball will do about that, the call was made on the field, and if you're going to turn it, overturn it, you have to have pretty convincing evidence. Now, to me, when you look at a play five times, even with the high-def cameras and all of that, and you say, well, I think he didn't touch the plate. Maybe he did touch the plate. I I go with he didn't touch the plate. I don't think that's enough to overturn it. Now, you know, if you had a different set of people in a different set of umpires in the replay room that night, Mm -hmm. maybe they would have. But that's the rule. And what I, I just think in all these plays, we have to look at it six times and you still can't tell. Although it did look like he did not touch the plate. And did I think to me. Not, when he went back and looked at the replay, he said he didn't, he didn't think he touched the plate. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I just think when you have replay, you're going to have things like this. You see it in every sport that there are going to be plays that you just can't say for sure. Um, but it did look like the, the replay got it wrong on that one. But, but I think for the most part – they've done a pretty good job with the replay, you know. But you've had players like Mike Trout. This is not an insignificant player, Mike Trout, who said, what's the point of having replay if this is what you're going to get? Well, He's not even an interested party. He's not even in that league. Yeah, but that, that that's part of social media and having a voice, giving every player a voice. Mm-hmm. You know, That's what's changed, you know, in the last 20 years. And so he looks at it and goes, well, that's obvious. Well, if you're in Secaucus, New Jersey, and you're in that room, uh, well, I, I guess it's in Manhattan now, um, it's not so obvious to you. And I, I look, they made the wrong call, but the idea behind replay is to get the call right, and 99.9% of the time they do. Maybe they missed that one. But again, I've looked at it a bunch of times, and I think he did not touch home plate. But you're not certain. You're I'm, not. I'm not. I'm not. You know what I what I, I voted to overturn the call. I, I'm not sure I could say that. Okay. All right. So then, so you would not be in my position, which is pick up the game in the bottom of the ninth. They play each other on May seventh and finish the game out in a more fair manner. You would not go back into the game. No, that, that they okay. would not do that. But because umpiring and umpire mistakes and all of that, that's. That happens. Part of the game, you know, you, you get mad about it and you go play the next day. Okay. Um, we have been talking about the fact that today is my son's birthday, but there is a much more famous person who's celebrating a birthday today, and it's a big birthday. It's 80, and it's Pete Rose, who is the greatest baseball player of all time who is not in the Hall of Fame and who has not been accused of steroids. He's been accused of a far worse crime in terms of baseball betting on games. Pete Rose, what what do you make? He's still banned from baseball. What do you make of it? Is he going to die being banned from baseball? You know what I mean? What what are we dealing with here? He's going to die not being in the Hall of Fame. And, right. And uh, it's it, you know, Bud Selig gave him a chance to come out and issue a heartfelt apology because we love this guy. People want to root for him. People want to do the right thing. And Pete sort of turned it into a money-making opportunity. Tony, the ambassadorship, uh, his ambassadorship for the game is enough. You know, you go to Cooperstown on Hall of Fame weekend, and you have these Hall of Famers signing autographs. Most of them don't look up. And Pete is over with people standing in the rain uh, outside, you know, somewhere down the street there in, in Cooperstown. He's making small talk with every old yeah. lady, every kid. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, he's at a strip mall now, an indoor strip mall in, in Las Vegas. And when the winter meetings were there two or three years ago, <laughs> I was walking down the hall and I, like, waved at Pete. And he's got, a, like, a carnival barker out front. Hey, come get Pete's autograph, all this. And the guy, got what I, the guy didn't actually say this, but I tell people, the guy goes, hey, buddy. That wave is going to cost you $20. You owe it because <laughs> Pete charges for everything. But, 
You're right. I'm telling you, you were around him as a player. I was around yes. him as a player. When he yes. hit in 44 games in a row, he was the perfect guy because, you know, guys that went through it, like Brett flirting with 400, they get superstitious. I don't want to talk about it. Pete would talk every day. On the day he got his 4,000th hit in Montreal, the, the cops in Montreal had to come up and say, you guys have to leave the dugout. You can't talk to him anymore. Well, what's going on? The game is about to start. That's what Pete was, and that what he did for the game and the way he played the game. I mean, it's uh, I would be willing to forgive him. I don't I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, I totally would be. Um, I would say that of all of the most famous plays in baseball history, Pete's is the one play crashing into Ray Fossey that doesn't count for anything at all. And it is, I think it's one of the 10 most famous plays no in question. baseball history. Don't you think? Yes. Let me tell you a story. A couple of years ago, somebody robbed David Ortiz of a, um, of a home run in a, in a playoff game. And my bosses at the MLB said, I need you to go through and find other moments, things that happened where the opposition was just in awe. David Ortiz had tipped his hat to the guy. And I call, I just like, I call Peter Gammons, and he goes, like, out of nowhere, he goes, in the game five in 1975, Pete steps into the plate and looks at Carlton Fisk and says, can you believe, can you bleep and believe <laughs> yes. we get to be part of a game like this? And, like, that was, that was Pete. Pete understood. And, and also, you know, in the gambling, Pete knew the history of the game back and forth. Like, when he was approaching Ty Cobb's record, he knew what kind of person Ty Cobb was. He had done his homework. I'm telling you, the guy was always a joy to be around. And, I'm, and, and from what I could gather, he, we knew he bet on sports. I don't know that he bet on baseball, but he would come in and go, hey, did anybody watch that Australian Rules football game last night? <laughs> no, Pete, nobody watched that. <laughs> Why would you be a, watching it? He's a total caveman, and I say oh, that yeah, in caveman. appreciation. He's a total caveman. I'll tell you this one story. I was doing a story for Inside Sports Magazine in the late 70s on Mike Schmidt, on Michael Jack Schmidt, maybe the best right. third baseman of all time. And Pete was on the Phillies at that point. And Schmidt told me the story, you know, and there are people that remember everything. Jim Palmer remembers every pitch he ever threw. Right. But he doesn't remember every pitch Mike Flanagan ever threw. Schmidt told me that he hit a double in a game. And he comes back to the dugout, he scores, and Pete's there. And, and Pete says, what do you think, huh? And Schmidt just looks at him. He goes, what do you mean? What do I think? He goes, that's your hundredth double. He knew Schmidt's numbers. He didn't just know his own numbers. He knew Schmidt's numbers. They'd, they'd been together for one year. He knew all of Schmidt's numbers. He, he's an amazing, I mean, he's crass and crude and a caveman. And he's one of the five greatest players of all time. He is. He, he's he is. not in. And, and he's 80 today. And the he's stories... 80. These guys are great players, and Joey Votto is going to be one of the greatest storytellers of all time. They can, tell, they can regale you with one story after another, and it's just a joy to be around them. There's an energy, around, an energy field around people like that, and nobody more than Pete. Thank you, Richie. Talk to you soon. Thanks, have, have fun repairing the house. Richard okay. Justice, yeah, okay. Richard I'm Justice drinking a lot of Willamette Valley wine to get me through it. <laughs> it's Willamette, damn it. Uh, and we will take a break. Uh, we will have uh, email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Michelob Ultra Read. In sports, if you think joy only happens after you win, think again. Look at the world's most successful athletes. They don't spend all their days grinding away. They take the time to enjoy themselves, like having a Michelob Ultra with friends, because they know that happiness is the key to winning and that joy is the whole game, not just the end game. In my life as a sports writer and somebody on television, I can think of two teams that exemplified this more than others. And I don't want you to get the wrong impression because to be a professional athlete means you have to work very, very hard at it. You're in an extraordinarily narrow slice of accomplishment when you reach the pros. But having fun is important as well. I would give you two. I would give you the 2019 Nats 
who every time they hit a home run, danced in the dugout. And when they danced in the dugout, the camera stayed on them. And it made all of us who rooted for the team very happy. And there was a sidebar to that. If Adam Eaton or Howie Kendrick were involved in a play that resulted in a run, they sat next to each other on the bench and they did a power shift as if they were driving a car. And that, too, gave them great joy and gave us as viewers great joy. The obvious other example is the 85 Bears, maybe the greatest single-season team in the NFL when they put together the Super Bowl shuffle. And everyone went, oh, my God, you can't do that. That's going to jinx you. you got to keep your nose to the grindstone. But no, they were the best team ever. They went through the playoffs something like 91 to 10. And even Wilbon knows how good they were, and I don't get angry when he says it. So that is the great joy that you can take from sports. Michelob Ultra. 95 calories, 2.6 grams of carbs. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Chris Ullman, the world's greatest whistler and a Binghamton guy. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Nigel, you want to do the bagel, uh, the Bethesda bagel ad? Yes, thank you very much, Mr. Tony. Bethesda bagels, we love them. You will as well. We got the bagel sandwiches today, which is always Good. a great day. Yeah, all you need to, yes, all you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. All right, before we get to the mailbag, let me just say I knew a man, Bojangles, and he danced for you in worn-out shoes and silver hair, a ragged shirt, and baggy pants, the old soft shoe. He jumped so high. He jumped so high. Then he'd lightly touch down, Mr. Bojangles. That is a song... Written by Jerry Jeff Walker, I believe, Yes. of uh, Binghamton, the Binghamton, New York area. Recorded by other people, but it's Jerry Jeff's song. Uh, thanks today to the guests, Brian Windhorse and Richard Justice. Two days in a row with great guests. Thanks as well to our sponsors, MeUndies, Simply Safe, and Michelob Ultra. And remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Odyssey. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. Normally, I don't... Uh, Nigel brings over every single day he brings over email and I normally put them at the bottom of a pile and I don't get to them for a while but I'm going to get to today's today and the ones I was going to get to normally I'll get to them on Friday. May I share a quick thank you before you get before sure. you start reading? Uh, this is a thank you to all the listeners who have emailed uh, with their screenshots of their brackets. Shout out to James Coughlin from Fayetteville, New York. Wonderful email. Thank Fayetteville, you. New York? Just outside of Syracuse, right? I don't know like, Fayetteville, New York. Okay, well, uh, he, okay, had, maybe. he had two brackets in, in that top 66. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Good for him. All right, this is from Kenny Ray in Fort Walton Beach in Florida, who writes all the time. I nearly spit out my breakfast listening to Monday's podcast in which you were discussing Chessie eating a rib bone when you said, save the bones for Henry Jones, because Henry don't eat no meat. All these years you've told us you don't like jazz, yet here you are quoting from a 1947 Nat King Cole trio recording with Johnny Mercer. Of course, 1947 would have been the salad days for you at good old Hewlett High, when you and all the other hep cats were dancing a Lindy Hop. Well, 23 skidoo, Mr. Tony, you really and truly are an onion, so many layers. I didn't know that. This my is from parents, my, my parents used to say that all the time because my father would just eat the bones all the time from carcasses of chickens and things like that. And I grew up hearing that. And I, to this day, now yes. I find out what it's from. Yes, yeah, so and my sister and I have appropriated you that. Say and, it. and we send it back to each other. And you always wait for some the chorus to finish it for you. Yeah, it's you wonderful. Know me. From Peter Jennings, not that Peter Jennings. Our family had the absolute privilege and high honor of living and working and playing golf in Japan for almost nine years. Our son is still there playing basketball. I enjoyed the show more than a writer of my skill is able to articulate. Best ever. It was also nice that Will, this is the Monday show, the Will Zalatoris, Will Z, is a Wake Forest kid. Yourself, Michael, Wilbon, and Steve Sands did a remarkably great and poignant job discussing all aspects of the phenomenal win of Matsuyama's son, and as you said, the sociological aspects of his feet. I'm sure you would love for me to drone on for pages of my life and golf anecdotes. I played in an event with Chako Higuchi. Son, as my partner, she was the first Japanese woman to win a major over 40 years ago. As my partner, Chako-san, shot her age, 70, from the men's tees and won all four closest to the pin prizes. She also gave me a putting lesson after nine holes, and she said through an interpreter that my putting caused her much pain to watch. I received a myriad of texts and emails from colleagues, friends, and golf partners in Japan today. They were all up at 3.30 in the morning watching every shot of the last round, and each indicated they cried tears of joy watching the final round. Thank you for bringing this forward in such a wonderful and respectful man manner. 
from uh, Liz Seltzer. I particularly enjoyed Let Go of My Lego because I am the proud spouse of a Lego file. My husband Scott runs an online secondhand Lego store on the website BrickLink called Built It All. Yes, there are many evenings when my entire dining room table and living room floor are covered in tiny bricks and I'm tearing my hair out, but I can't complain. Legos have paid our student loans, created a vacation fund, and kept us financially afloat when the nine-to-five jobs have not. Thank you for highlighting a little-known but special with a capital S niche. I did not know any of these things. So Liz is a big Lego guy. Is that right? Oh, yeah. He gets from, the kits. From Derek Chalk in <laughs> San Diego, California, price. currently stuck in Goshen, New York. I was once a Lego master builder at Legoland, California. I'm now a project manager for the construction of Legoland New York in Goshen, and I know where Goshen is. It's on Route 17. You'll pass it on your next road trip to Binghamton. I built many of the large-scale buildings for the Legoland parks in Dubai and Japan while I was a builder, and I want to confirm for you that Lego sells for the ridiculous prices mentioned in Nigel's story. The Millennium Falcon Nigel mentioned has a part that was manufactured only for that set, and that one brick will often sell for around $1,200 for one brick. The people who pay these prices are known as AFALs, adult fan of Lego, and they are indeed the dorks you are thinking they are. They would have been yelling at their computers during the story on Friday to tell you that the plural of Lego is Lego bricks. We had to take the address of our shop off the internet because of the weirdos that would come by around and watch us build. Can I be the official Lego master builder of the Tony Kornheiser show? Of course you can, Derek Chalk. I think Walker has a new mentor. From Matt Sinison in Gray Lake, Grays Lake, Illinois, in watching most of the recent masters, I kept left laughing every time they cut the butler cabin. The people in my house were confused and more so when I tried to explain a simple joke from your show 10 plus years ago about former NBA player Karan Butler. Welcome to Butler Cabin. I'm Karan Butler. Thanks for the continuing laughs. From Niall in Newcastle, England, it was great hearing Wilbon talking with passion about his trips to Japan on Monday's show. I was shocked, though, when he didn't refer to Tokyo as being a Midwestern city like Toronto. (laughs) From Steve the Sycophant, Mr. Mike's story of the Havelina encounter reminded me of my mano and mano with a wildlife a few years back at the Grand Canyon. I was leaving the El Tovar Hotel by the South Rim one night. When out of the darkness, trotting right at me came a monster elk. He had a full rack of antlers and, to my inexpert eye, was in a bad mood. While I was deciding whether to stand still, flee, or yell, the elk decided I wasn't worth his time and headed out at a full gallop. Mr. Wilbon made a sound decision in avoiding the javelina, and it's also a good idea when encountering a bull elk. Once again, from Kenny Ray in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Was Wilbon's Havelina drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's? Was his hair perfect? You better stay away from him. He'll rip your lungs out, Jim. Uh, Chris Thorpe in Loveland, Colorado. I expect a chair that can support lumber can handle your lumbar no sweat, like dodging a ball after mastering the wrench. Dodgeball reference. Dodgeball reference. From Mike Passy in Peterborough, Ontario in Canada. What are the odds that Nigel is secretly changing the X chair to... Add to say lumber instead of lumbar, just to <laughs> stick it to Mr. Tony. Like, from Sully in Boston, never revere, even for gas. If we aren't doing Stonehenge, we most certainly aren't doing lists of gas stations people pass on their commutes. And from Grant McGuire, who sends me Angel's Envy, you are the spreading urban legend. You're spreading urban legend about Mama Cass's death. The legend is she choked to death on a sandwich. Now you've turned it into a chicken bone. I don't want to confuse you at your advanced age with facts because both stories are better than the reality that she died of a heart attack. And then he quotes Wikipedia, which says an often repeated urban legend is that Elliot choked to death on a ham sandwich in London. Unfortunately, the first doctor who examined her speculated to the press about the cause of death, and that's the version that stuck. An autopsy had not been performed when the physician was quoted, and the Metropolitan Police told reporters that a partially eaten sandwich found in her room might have been relevant to the cause of death. When the doctor performed the autopsy, he determined that Elliot had died of heart failure and that no food was present in her windpipe. Not a good enough story. If you're out on your bike tonight, as, as always, everyone, do wear white. If I wish one of your guys had children, if I could kick them in the f- head or stomp on their testicles, so you could feel my pain, because that's the pain I have waking up every day.